This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are welcoming Keisha Reeves, who is the owner and clinical director of Push Through Therapy. She's a Georgia native that has witnessed the stigma of mental health and has made it her mission to normalize therapy. She has been in the mental health field for more than 16 years. And more than that, now she is a certified perinatal mental health provider serving birthing parents who are trying to conceive, have fertility issues, have experienced infant loss, transitioning into parenthood, as well as perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. She's volunteered with Northside Hospital's Infant Loss Bereavement Group. She served three years on the Postpartum Support International Georgia Chapter Board as the training coordinator and currently volunteers as an educator to providers treating birthing parents in their practices. She's a facilitator for the Mocha Moms Group at the Atlanta Birth Center, and she facilitates her own Black Moms Group through Push Through Therapy. We are hearing from Keisha today some of her personal story and also some of the factors that make Black maternal mental health and reproductive education so important. And she shares why and how it's a strong passion of hers as she was the founding coordinator and presenter for Black Maternal Mental Health Summit for PSI Georgia is one of the ways that she's spreading the education and knowledge and trying to get support to the people who really, really need it. Providing access to resources and providing mental health services to women of color is a mission of Keisha's. There's so much to learn from Keisha, and in our conversation, you hear some of that. This conversation is incredibly important, as are all conversations that have to do with perinatal mental health for women of color, and specifically Black women in the United States. Keisha shares some of the reasons why it is so incredibly important we're having this conversation and continuing the conversation. This is an important drop in the bucket, our chat today, and really vital that this conversation is shared with as many people as possible. So without further ado, here is Keisha Reeves. Welcome, Keisha. Thank you for being on with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm really excited too. You know, we we just kind of met in person as we were talking about before we started last year and, you know, just reading through your bio, just how many amazing things you've done and you're doing. So some of that, you know, we're going to share with everybody today, but in terms of how you even got started on this journey, I'd love to start there with you wherever you'd like about um, how this journey started for you. Yeah. So I started in private practice, oh gosh, around 2013, 2014. And I was then just like a solo practitioner at the time. I was just specializing in general women's issues. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that I was getting clients that were experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, but they didn't have the language to it, nor did I have not much in-depth education on it. Mm-hmm. You know, as we know, there for my grad program, there was no PMATS course or right. anything in depth with that. So I had decided to get additional training through PSI, but it was right before I flew out to Arizona to have my two-day training back in 2017 um, that I had had my son January of that mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting sometimes when I'll talk to people and I'll say, you know, sometimes one would think that a clinician would be able to pick up on signs and symptoms themselves. Right. But I didn't. Like I was in the depths of postpartum depression and anxiety. And yeah. with throughout my first, it was an easy pregnancy. I've always been an active runner most of my life. I ran up until I was like eight months pregnant until oh, wow. my pelvis just said no. <laughs> Not today. Right, right. Not today. <laughs> And labor and delivery was pretty simple. But, you know, like when I think back, I could almost see like the signs like showed up immediately. Like I remember thinking about how on television it was portrayed as if like a woman would have her child and immediately there was this instant connection. And I didn't feel that with him. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, even in the hospital, just wanting like a break to just be by myself. Right. And once I got home, our environmental factors or risk factors were really stacked up against us. My mm-hmm. husband had just started a new job that was two hours away where Whoa. he worked hour shifts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we had no family available in the area that we lived. Our friends also lived far away from us. And Ezra was colic. And I was a first time mom by myself at the house alone. And I was trying to adjust to breastfeeding and, you know, trying to make him feel better because he cried all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a point where it was like three days and I hadn't slept at all. One morning when my husband was trying to have a conversation with me and I saw a woman standing next to him and I was hallucinating because I was so deeply sleep deprived. Oh my gosh. And it was just like a struggle because it was like this cyclical effect of being anxious every night of wondering if this is the night, am I going to get to sleep or if I did fall asleep and if I tried to go to sleep, am I going to be able to actually sleep long enough? Mm. And then feeling just sad because, you know, you feel as if this is this life now, like, is this my life now forever and hopeless? And were you, can I ask a question about, were you tired, like exhausted, tired and couldn't sleep? 
exhausted, like, tired. And everything, yeah, you just would like would not fall asleep even mm -hmm. though you desperately wanted to. Right. And then sometimes yeah. it would be like he would fall asleep and I would fall asleep. But it would, you know how like sometimes broken sleep can make you even more exhausted? Oh, yeah. Like you jolt awake because they're awake, but you just hit REM sleep. Right, right. <laughs> so it was definitely that. And then just this feeling of wanting to like get it together, like in my mind, like definitely suffering from strong black woman syndrome, you know, not wanting to ask for help, not wanting to appear ungrateful right. or weak. And so it was that way for like two to three months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Were you just quickly going back to that moment where you had that hallucination in that moment? Did you realize that that's like what was happening? Were you? No. What was that like for you? Was it like scary? Was it confusing? It was confusing. And I remember describing it to my husband like later, maybe like a couple of days later. And I was saying, you know, I don't know what that was about. And I was also like in the midst of brain fog. Oh, yeah. So I think I kind of like associated it with that at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not like thinking, like, no, you're sleep deprived, you're hallucinating. But just like, oh, well, my brain is just not functioning. I couldn't remember anything. I right. couldn't think clearly. I couldn't critically think reason. Right. I was not in the position to safely be responsible for another human being at all. Right. And it wasn't until the point where I think I recognized that I wasn't okay, that I sought out therapy. And from there, working with my therapist of trying to create all of the avenues to be able to support myself. Because there was also this guilt of, well, my husband is working 12 hours and he's 12 hours away. I don't want to bother him. And I'm at home. I was staying at home for several months and, you know, this is my job. I should be able to do this. Right. So now, like, pressure. right. Falling into all of that. And I had to recognize what I needed to do for myself so that I could show up as the best version of myself. And I say all of that to say that it was really like a, a lot of aha moments when I went to that PSI training in Arizona, mm. where I was really like introduced to intrusive thoughts and like how sleep, sleep deprivation can trigger so many different types of disorders within the spectrum of PMADS. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not only like as a clinician, was it educational, but it was also kind of like a sense of peace for myself that it wasn't like just me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Aha moment. So real. Yeah. So like it, it's not, there's nothing wrong with me. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when you're in that two day training, it's like, it can feel like one thing after another, like, oh, oh, mm -hmm. that's that. Oh, okay. Cause it's really jam packed. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you're learning and to your point earlier, we don't get taught this in school. It's a shame that we're not. But I wonder if as a, you know, a therapist and working in the mental health space, if that added another layer for you of, I don't know, like the stigma or the shame that and I'm speaking from my own experience. That's what I felt. Like, did it feel that way for you too? Yes, absolutely. Because you just often, I mean, it was so many different layers of shame for it because there was one of, I mean, like, even when I would try to talk to family or friends, I was met with, um, well, isn't this supposed to be the, like the most joyous time of your life? Or, uh, well, you're a clinician, you know, you would know. 
or even, you know, your ancestors were able to do it. So you should. Ooh, that is like hundreds, thousands of years of pressure. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just right Absolutely. There. Yeah. So anyone would just kind of like go inward and not, not share like the sure. difficulties in it. Right. What was the amount of time again from the time your son was born to the time you uh, went to that training? Three months. Okay. So mm -hmm. in between there, you kind of knew something wasn't, you weren't feeling like yourself. Right, right. It okay. was, well, no, not exactly. So I had him in January. It was about March when I recognized that something was off. I attended the training in May. So oh. I was already in the process of in therapy, oh, getting okay. things like aligned for myself. And then things really came full circle mm -hmm. once I attended the training. Okay. Wow. So it's just so interesting that, uh, were you already on a path of supporting uh, birthing folks before you attended the training? Not to the extent of what I was afterwards, because before it wasn't my target audience, so to speak, like right, right. they kind of fell into the pot of women's issues. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until after I attended the training, had my own experience, where it like then became my mission. Yeah, right, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then with you kind of being in your own healing journey, how was that for you to be learning about it and, you know, trying to get back to yourself, so to speak? It was, you know, like often like in therapy, we talk about like transfers and counter transfers mm -hmm. and things that can show up. I will say that even working with clients and their own resilience was inspiring for me and empowering. Mm -hmm. And then also just being able to see them and them being able to see me see them and to relate and to hear them and to validate them. Yeah. I think like also work because it's one thing if you work with a client and it's some issue that you have like absolutely no experience in at all, but you're just helping them from your own educational toolbox. But it is pretty resounding when it's something like you've been through and you have your own like personal testimony, you know, rather they don't know like the depths of it at all, mm. but you can be able to really help them because you've been through it and that empathy could just look a little bit different. And so I was just very intentional about putting things in place for myself and my own self-care, yeah. but I also just felt so mission-driven to not have people. Cause I knew like, if I was a therapist and this is what it was like for me, I couldn't imagine what it would be like for someone who had no psychology background mm -hmm. or no access to care. Cause I'm in Georgia in a rural area where they may not have a culturally competent clinician or someone who has any educational background in this at all. I really wanted to support those so that they wouldn't suffer, their child wouldn't suffer, right. their family wouldn't suffer and they wouldn't feel like something was wrong with them. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. 
episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. I would love to follow up with what you were just saying, like, uh, you know, being in a rural community, not having a culturally competent uh, therapist, or I'm assuming also few resources, few like people who have training in perinatal mental health in right. rural communities. That's typically true. Is that, was that true? Or is that true where you are? Yeah. So... I am in Atlanta, which is fortunately a great resource birth driven community. I mean, I'm in the state of Georgia, so obviously there's tons of work that needs to be done. But as far as like access to care, you know, for doulas and midwives or OBs, or we have our PSI board, you know, here. But once you step outside of Atlanta uh-huh. and, you know, there is the more rural areas, there isn't a lot of culturally competent clinicians, or there isn't a lot of people who are specifically trained in PMADs. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people will not choose to get help, you know, in fear of the shame or stigma or not being heard or listened to, or, you know, having a bad experience with someone previously. And also the fear of getting misdiagnosed, perhaps being thought of as having a diagnosis that they don't have, or if their children would get taken from them because they're trying to share the struggles that they're experiencing. Right. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of work to help remedy that and help change that, but it is something that's still like an ongoing issue. Yeah. How in what ways, I guess, in your practice now, are you seeing this, you know, gap in adequate support, trained support, uh, culturally aware uh, support, I guess? I guess my question is, what kind of effects do you see on Black women or the Black mothers or Black folks that you're supporting? I think, well, to go back a little bit. So recently I did a training on like understanding perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And I'm always eager to see like, what are the different types of disciplines and demographics that will attend the training? Mm. And typically the people who attend are 
you know, folks who have a genuine interest in specializing in PMADs. But I, in my own personal opinion, think that everyone who sees anyone in the therapy space should have a general basic, you know, course on PMADs. (laughs) Absolutely. Second, third, and fourth that. Yeah. Right. If you see a parent of any sort of however they identify, you should have this training. And so I think that gap starts there, just not like for there to be, you know, providers that may feel as if like, oh, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me or I don't have to have this education. Or if they feel as if the area in which they serve or the clients that they see don't identify as people of color to have no interest to learn about Black maternal mental health mm-hmm. in the statistics. And I think that that kind of ongoingly perpetuates the statistic. You know, like if it's one in three of Black moms that experience PMADS, and in the, aside from the risk factors that we have, like the ones I shared of lack of support or, you know, rather it's financial issues or, or geographical region, but if it's discrimination and if it's racism and if it's lack of trust in the medical system, and you are someone as a provider who doesn't want to learn about any of those things, then you will really miss, you know, being able to provide adequate care for someone or for someone to feel as if they can trust or feel safe in space. Oh, sure. And so the clients that I do see whenever it shows up in practice, it's typically like they've gone through a birth trauma or they've experienced, you know, any type of postpartum anxiety and have literally sat with this for a year or two. And it wasn't until like they stumbled upon my practice where they may have come for a whole separate issue. Uh-huh, and they right. just, you know, like, oh, you have a two-year-old. Oh, by the way, what was, you know, postpartum like? for you. Oh, well, this, this, and this, and this. Oh, why didn't you ever seek help? Like, that's a lot. Uh Well, this is why I didn't seek help. And, you know, when someone has to carry that on top of whatever life brings them, it just really, you know, makes that plate even heavier of stress in mental health. Yeah. That was a mouthful. (laughs) No, no, it's a great mouthful. (laughs) And it's so... I mean, you're talking about people's real lived experience. It's not theoretical. This is, you know, people are telling you, Black women are telling you, they don't have either access to, or knowledge, I guess. Like, we're still trying to figure out how to make sure everybody knows that this is even a thing. So Mm -hmm. in terms of that information, but to be able to, like you were saying, even realize that something was going on, and pushing through that, I don't know, maybe you can speak to this, the, like the idea of what type of mom you're supposed to be. And while, you know, we know that there's just generally a societal pressure to, you know, you're supposed to love this and all that. Are you, what do you think is like specific maybe to the South? If there's like a cultural component in, Mm -hmm. in the South of like pressure for mom? I would say specifically for Black mothers in the South, it's culturally, this is something that's just for the past that has built it up, not that it exists or that it's right, but that you're able to accomplish the tasks that are needed to be done. And nothing necessarily needs to interfere with that. So sadness or anxiety or 
crying spells needs to interfere with being able to go to work, you know, maintain your household, take care of your children's needs, all of the responsibilities on your plate, you're supposed to be able to adequately accomplish them. There's no space to, we don't, we don't have time to cry. You have to get things done because if you don't do it, who else will? That's kind of like the mantra or what was kind of exhibited to follow. Uh-huh. And I think that it's been work to kind of dispel that mm-hmm. and make it known that you're not inadequate because you need to go to therapy or because you need to cry or because you are anxious or you're overwhelmed or you need help. It doesn't mean as if your family can't function or can't excel because of that. It doesn't mean that you're failing in any type of way. If anything, it means that you are able, and a big thing that I'll tell my clients, you're able to show up to be the mother that you want to be. Mm. Because when we are filled with not giving ourselves the space or the privilege to take a break or sit down or take care of yourself, that you can be irritable and you can snap and you can, you know, not spend time or be present with your children in the way that you want to, not discipline in the way that you want to. And especially if you want to get rid of generational habits, taking care of yourself helps you to be able to do that. So yeah, you used a word generational, I think is really important. And if I, to highlight that there, if you can speak to like why there is a reason, what has shaped this generational mantra, as you said, that, you know, just sort of put your head down and do, do all the things you're supposed to do and and not have any feelings about it. Right. I think it goes all the way back to 1619. Whenever Black people in America, Black Americans were enslaved, there wasn't maternity leave. There wasn't short-term disability. (laughs) There was have your child and go back in the fields and pick cotton or take care of the owner's children and support their family. And I think generationally that's passed down when you are an oppressed people Mm -hmm. who are discriminated against and don't have the same privileges or opportunities, Mm -hmm. you have to do what you have to do to support your family. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't the luxury of therapy or days off or, you know, being able to just sit down. I think that over time that that just continued to pass down from grandparents to mothers until their children. And it's definitely something that's hard to break specifically in the South. But I think with the awareness of mental health and this being Mental Health Month, I think that a lot of work has been done to help with that, but it's it's definitely ingrained and it's existed for centuries. Yeah, for sure. I was had this image just a flash in my mind. I watch uh, Finding Your Roots mm-hmm. with Dr. Henry Louis Gates. I love that series. But just, it was yesterday actually, in one of the episodes, they were showing a picture of enslaved people working on the plantation, mothers, parents, and two little babies sitting in one of the rows, just kind of, you know, hanging out there. They had to be there. That was the only option. Mom had to work and babies came with. And I, just in terms of like the generational, the history there, what you're describing in, in my mind, that was just like, that's a snapshot that kind of encapsulates in a way, in a very for a sort of brief way in a picture, the history there, the reasons why. There's Uh, this 
quote that I love by Toni Morrison. She's like my favorite author. But she was speaking to how motherhood for her gave her this sense of freedom. Mm. And which is, you know, interesting because we talk about, you know, like matrescence and how like some women feel as if it brings a lack of freedom. But she was talking about it in relation to her ancestors Uh and saying how when enslaved women gave birth to children, that it wasn't theirs, that their children, you know, could be taken from them and was property and was owned by the people that owned them. And how generationally, you know, things have changed from that. But I couldn't imagine, you know, what that experience was like and how, you know, we were talking about you just did what you had to do and how that mantra has existed from then. And it was like that was a coping mechanism of just being able to just get through day to day to just function. And in some ways, like protective, if you didn't do what you had to do. There was punishment immediately for you and potentially your child. I mean, there's like, as you were just saying how hard it has been to break, because I mean, Mm. it wasn't that long ago that slavery was abolished, but then, you know, historically there were so many other things that came in that were like enslavement, but just were just under some different law that got twisted and and whatnot. And it just, you know, the kind of like, quote unquote, reasons it's taking so long and it takes so much work to break through this, the stigma or that sense of like, I don't know if you call it like responsibility, there's probably a better word about like, I have to do this in order to protect myself and my children. It's really quite deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times like within my practice, you know, I know as far as like statistically with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, But antepartum anxiety is also very huge. Uh And specifically for like Black mothers in being anxious about what labor and delivery will look like for them if they will live, if their child will live. And then also the responsibility of being a parent to a Black child once they're in this country Mm -hmm. and how that impacts like their attachment style, their parenting style, and how anxiety kind of just exists, you know, it's this cloud of figuring out how to function in that way. That is a really good, um, I mean, there's so much in there that we could deep dive into. (laughs) And also for, I think it's important what you're saying, because there's a way in which anxiety, the anxiety that someone might be experiencing isn't random. It's not for no reason. Right. Um, It's there for a reason. And so like, how do you, I guess, thread that needle of it's reasonable to have anxiety and also, you know, it's impacting you. Yes, absolutely. Even like sometimes, okay, with bringing this point. So I have two kids. That was my experience with my oldest Ezra. When I had my second, I was definitely proactive, had all things in place, supports, everybody knew their roles of how they were going to show up. There was no shame. I was on it. Mm. I had my second April 1st, 2020. Mm. Um, okay. Right after the world shut down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Right. And then there was this civil rights uprising, you know, where there was a, a killing day after day. And I had my second black son. And, you know, when you say that like anxiety is something that, you know, for black mothers isn't, you know, something without 
reason, you know, as proactive as I was, there is this anxiety that shows up, you know, again. And and I'm thinking to myself, I did everything right. But but these are things that occur just by just living in society as a black mother. And when I try to help with clients, you know, who experience that being relatable, completely understanding where it comes from, also trying to help them just be present Mm -hmm. in the joy of motherhood, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I get how you can immediately go to, well, I have to equip them for when they're driving their cars, or I have to, you know, go over the script with them when they're walking from the store, but it is a newborn and they're not able to drive or walk and you deserve the joy of enjoying your newborn and let's just sit there for a bit and be in that space. Yeah, absolutely. It's twofold. Like, yes, there's a lot more information being shared and people are learning about things like maternal mortality and whatnot. But to your point, what you're saying is that like that now that that's in, you know, people's minds, or I should say, it's like more present in media and social media. There's, it's not like there's a full break from remembering that it's there, that it's a a reality. So it's like, I think, you know, and what you're saying is important, like two things can be true at the same time. Absolutely. Um, It's hard. I mean, it's the skill that you're trying to help black mothers embody. It's hard to do. I mean, it's an active skill. Yeah, but definitely similar to what I was talking about, Toni Morrison's quote. Mm-hmm. And like what you said, two things can exist. You just still deserve the joy of the incredible thing that you just went through and you had and brought into this world. Right. Yeah, that is so deeply important because that is part of breaking the generational trauma, mm-hmm. taking that space. Right. And I think it's important coming from a Black clinician to mm-hmm. a Black mother. I think it's different, you know, if I say it in some way to, you know, to a Black mother. What do you think about that? Like, yes, it can be still true, but it's different hearing mm-hmm. from somebody who really understands what the day-to-day feels like. Absolutely. I definitely think it can be even more resonating when it's someone that looks like you. And I think that, you know, going back to culturally competent clinicians, if you're in an area where this is the population, where you have a a diverse population of potential clients, but there isn't a diverse background of providers, I think to be educated in knowing that there is a level of how you may resonate with your clients, but still being able to see them and to understand, have sympathy or or have empathy of understanding that this can be very difficult for them versus being completely oblivious and having no desire to have an understanding at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and this is all health and mental health connected. I mean, we've been talking about all of the ways in which understanding perinatal mental health is is important for, uh, let me pause here. I can't think of how I want to 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So we've been talking about all of uh, some of the ways in which perinatal mental health is important for Black mothers. What would you like to see? You know, how would you like to see this progress in terms of um, maternal mental health? I would love it if everyone would jump on board the bandwagon of maternal mental health, not just mental health providers, but for medical practitioners, for community folks, just for everyone. Because I feel like that is where the beginning of life begins. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is so vital for the person who is carrying new life to be in a great mental space for the environment in which they live and cohabitate to be supportive of that. And I would think it would be astounding if we could see the impact it would have on the world, the country, statistics, Mm -hmm. if everyone was heavily involved. And perhaps I'm coming from a psychodynamic theoretical approach But I do believe that it impacts so many different areas. If we look at the day one of everything, how people do attach, how people form relationships and friendships and parents, how they deal with stress in the future, how they just function in society. Mm -hmm. And I think that it shouldn't just be in the hands of birthing parents to figure it out Mm -hmm. or for mental health providers, I think that it is a world issue to take part of. And it's always so interesting to me when I meet people and they'll say, 
oh, you're a mental health therapist. What do you specialize in? And I'll say maternal mental health. And they'll say, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. And I'm thinking like, how could it not be? <laughs> like like yeah. even just a conversation today, you know, this was just like one piece of it. You know, there's infertility, there's surrogacy, there's adoption, there's loss. You know, it's so much. And how all of that impacts your mental health, your brain functioning, how your brain changes, just everything. And I think that when people have a little bit more education and humility, mm-hmm. that it will just change so much. And with that, you know, for sure, cultural competency goes a long way. Education goes a long way. And I think that for even Black mothers, that will change our own statistics. I'm in Georgia where our mortality rate is increasing by numbers, you know, specifically after the pandemic mm-hmm. and how our C-section rates are huge and birth trauma is huge. And I think that if everyone gets on board, those numbers could change. Mm-hmm. I f- a thousand percent agree with you. And I, I like, what do you see as the barrier for people getting on board? Providers, I think that, you know. right, providers, I think that You know, what I was saying earlier, how a lot may not think that it has anything to do with them and their specific, you know, form of practicing of thinking like, well, I don't see those people. So it's not something that I should, you know, learn about. I think that it starts there. Even, you know, while I was on the Georgia chapter PSI board and trying to provide educational trainings to, you know, different OBs on screening and referring their patients, them, some of them in rural areas, not wanting us to do a presentation for them. Um, Rather, it was based off of ego um, because it was like, who are you to tell me, you know, when I, you know, do away with that. Mm -hmm. Right. Or if they felt like they didn't want to scream mothers because they often said like, well, we don't have anywhere to refer them. So I'd rather just not screen them at all. Just the lack of, of care, I think is a huge barrier. That's sometimes so like feels depressing. <laughs> like <laughs> there's so far to go and, you know, there's only so many mountaintops we can scream from, you know, it's, it is really hard to break through all of that. This mm-hmm. idea that I don't, I don't need to, or that's not what's I think interesting to your point is that uh, maybe people, providers don't think they're like seeing those people or like, that they're not in their practice, but it's only because they don't know what to look for. They are there. They're, they're everywhere. And yeah, there's a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. Um, for sure. I remember working with um, someone once and it was through their own birth story that they could get an understanding of what their mother's birth story was and how that impacted their relationship. Mm -hmm. Like it's, to me, it's so interconnected that it's not just, you know, like what you said, if you know the signs, you know what to look for, you can see how it can show up and how that can impact the client that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you get, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I guess, asking you this because I feel it. Do you get frustrated with (laughs) like, or how frustrated do you get? How do you keep going, you know, (laughs) when you're up against people who don't want to learn. Yeah, I do get frustrated for sure. Where I'll have like these rants in my home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband. (laughs) Um, But I keep going because I remember 
where I was and I remember what my experience was like and I wouldn't want that for anyone and whatever I can do, whatever small bit I can do with the work that I do can help me feel encouraged. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's not a small thing that you're doing. I mean, you it's hard, I think, for people, you know, who are in the field doing the work to under to see the ripple effect. But, you know, you, you're doing really important work. And it's, I don't think small at all. I think it's huge. And you're, you are helping people heal their own generational trauma, which is like, goes out into the future, however many generations. The, mm-hmm. I mean, to your point of how important the first day is, and as you said, there is no way for this to not have an effect beyond, you know, that session in that on that day in that room. It, it just, uh, maybe I'm being way too hopeful, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, it, it is, it is, um, it is, it does bring hope. Um, yeah. that people can at some point be free of this suffering or at least know how to get through it with the support that they deserve. Right. I agree. I mean, you're doing so much to further the message to get people the help that they need and deserve. Can you speak a little bit to what's happening now for you and professionally? Sure. Now, because the pandemic was so impactful on so many birthing parents, I've since expanded into a group practice from when I started into a solo practitioner just to be able to fill that need. That's a big um, step. It is a huge step. <laughs> it's a lot and of work. Responsibility, yeah, it's a lot of work. So running that and continuing to do trainings, I just got back from Savannah, an area, you know, one would think Savannah would have a lot of resources mm-hmm. for PMATs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's oh. like when we talk about our rural areas for Georgia, yeah. where there are many who specialize or a lot of people of color that specialize. But I was down there doing a presentation. Um, so continue to try to offer that educational piece. And, and I'm really passionate about whatever research I learn or study or am a part of to be able to offer that back to providers. Mm. Um, like we talked about, like PMATS isn't just about postpartum, but there's so much research on antipartum experience or birth trauma um, or those who are pregnant after a loss or going through infertility. And so trying to be a part of educating those mm-hmm. on that as well as learning more for myself is where I am now. Well, it is a big step to go from a solo practice to a group mm-hmm. practice. It's a lot of work, but there, uh, the, you know, you're expanding your, your capacity and um, footprint, I guess, and, and being able to help more people is so important. Right. So very important. So on push through mom, what kinds of things are you, are you putting up there or offering to people um, through your work? Absolutely. Community events. So any support groups that I run or someone from my team is running or any events that we have is on that website. We just did a mindfulness hike this past Saturday at Vickery Creek in Roswell, Georgia. And it was great. We started it out with a meditation 
we had sponsorships from different journal companies and we're able to just like exist and be. And I love like being able to just take simple things like walking in the woods as a coping mechanism. Like this is, (laughs) this could do wonders. You know, you don't have to book a flight to Miami (laughs) refreshed and to get away. You literally just take a stroll and just be grounded. And that could do wonders for your mental health. So different events like that, I just absolutely love. And I also do a quarterly Black birth workers meetup Mm. where it's different Black birth workers around the state of Georgia can come together and network and exchange resources um, and to hopefully build a directory to be able to refer to one another and just learn about who's doing what work. So we'll have providers from chiropractors to pediatricians, doulas, just anyone who sees any birthing parents being able to just come together and support one another. Oh, that's so amazing and so important to build community in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because then the providers also are feeling the stress of supporting people too. So they need community or we need community, but just to know that you have a resource and a place to send somebody is so beautiful because you know not any one of us can attend to every part of somebody's experience and yeah it's beautiful what you're creating it's amazing thank you well i thank you so much for coming on and sharing a bit about your story and all the really important work you're doing thank you so much i'm so excited that this can be full circle that i could i remember like walking up to you and being like oh my gosh there's dr cat i should tell her <laughs> <laughs> oh And then, you know, months from there, I get to be a guest. So thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Keisha, again, for coming on and sharing this with us. For those of you who want to get connected with Keisha, please go to KeishaReads.com or PushThroughMom.com. You can also find her on Instagram at PushThroughMom and at Keisha Reeves. Thank you for being with us on this episode today of the Mom and Mind podcast. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.